So we live in a culture of cancellation. Can I get an amen on that one? However, this is not the kind of cancellation that's godly in our culture. Uh, Most things that are being canceled are usually godly in nature. So the conservative evangelical view of things, and frankly, the biblical view of things is being canceled throughout our nation. Biblical views such as abortion, uh, the right to life of a baby, biblical views on sexuality and marriage, uh, the rejection of universalism as Jesus is the only way, uh, the cancel culture is try- attempting to squeeze out any, any part of the Bible that is in our society today. Frankly, it's an outright attack on the people of God and the Word of God. However, today we're going to talk about a type of canceling that's not actually bad. Uh, you know, we, we think of canceling as, as bad in today's society, cancel culture, things like that. But today we're going to talk about how God has done some cancellations for us and how that is a very positive and a good thing. Uh, there is a, a great side of cancellation, as we're going to read today. So turn your Bibles uh, to Colossians two eleven through 15. It'll be up here as well. And read along with me as I read the Word of God. In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, over, uh, over them in him. Let us pray. Thank you, God, so much for your word. Thank you for this great section of scripture. I'm just so excited for us to get into it today. There's just so much meat here, so much truth. God, thank you for being the God who cancels bad things. Uh, God, thank you so much for being about your glory. Thank you so much for your love and your mercy, and your kindness, God. Uh, Lord, may you be with us right now, and may you just calm our hearts, calm our minds, help us to rest in you, Lord Jesus. I uh, thank you so much for, for the gathering of believers. Thank you for uh, children, and I know uh, it's tough sometimes to bring your kids to church, but I thank you so much for these parents that are doing that. God, I just pray that you give them peace and help them to know that, that we are supporting them. We're for them, God, and may they uh, just just have an open heart and open mind to hear your word. May we all have that open heart and open mind to hear your word. We thank you so much that, that you love each one of us from newborn to however old that we go here, God, that, that you love us all the same and that we are all a part of your family if we are in you, God, if we have placed our faith and trust in you. Oh, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. Amen. So today we're going to talk about three ways that new life is available to you. And the first one is new life is available for you because of a canceled duty, a canceled duty. And I'm going to reread verses 11 through 13. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, 
having forgiven us all our trespasses. So in these verses, the word circumcision happens three times, and uncircumcision is actually one time here. So I think before we move forward, we need to know, hey, what, what is circumcision? Not all of us may know what circumcision is necessarily. And circumcision was given under the old covenant, and actually even a little bit before the covenant with Israel, we see that given to Abraham. And Abraham in Genesis 17, verses 10 through 14, God gives the command of circumcision. Uh, men, all men, all boys were to be circumcised the eighth day after life in the family of Abraham and moving forward, the family of Israel, if we kind of look through that. And it was really, it, it, it was necessary to even be a part of the community of Israel. If you wanted to take, in, take the Passover, if you wanted to do anything like that, you had to be circumcised in order to be a part of God's covenantal community. This physical ritual was there to remind the people of Israel of two things. Obviously, Israel, just to kind of let you know, too, Israel is, uh, is Jacob. Uh, is, Jacob is renamed Israel. If you're kind of wondering how Abraham plays into that, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. They're the 12 tribes of Israel. So now you can kind of see how, how Abraham fits in. Sometimes we miss that, that connection there. But this, this act, this ritualistic act, had two different points that it really wanted to make. First was the removal of foreskin and casting off was to symbolize casting off sin. Right, so we know that sin entered the world through, through man, right? Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. We talked about that a little bit this morning. Where we're going to get to, actually, I think next week. Um, we we kind of set the stage for that kind of coming. And so first, it was an outward sign of casting off sin, right? The flesh is sinful. It's been tainted by sin. And so that was the first thing. And the second was to, to, to let that person know, to let the world know, to let the family of God know that, the, that this person was right with God. They were a part of the covenantal community. It was an outward sign to show that they were in God's family, right? Yet God always cared more about the heart than he cared about the religious institution of circumcision. That was more of an outward sign because we're a sinful people and we're a simple people, and so we forget things. And so that, that act of circumcision was a visual reminder. Every time a boy was born, eight days later, it says, hey, you're my people. God wanted to remind them, hey, you're my people. You are to be holy, for I am holy. You are to be set apart. You are to cast off sin, the sin of the flesh, and you are to be a part of my community. And even then, we see that they were not saved by circumcision. Circumcision actually was given after Abraham was justified by faith. We see in uh, Romans 4.11, you can read along with me here, it says, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had in faith, had by faith while he was still what? Uncircumcised, right? So the purpose was not to make him right with God, but to symbolize that he was right with God through faith. So even in the Old Testament, circumcision wasn't what saved people. It was faith and obedience to God. These understandings are really important because we're going to see Paul move forward in comparing circumcision and baptism. And it's really going to help uh, aid our understanding of this. In verse 11, we see that our circumcision under the new covenant is not one with hands, right? Uh, so I'm a physician, and whenever I was in residency, I performed circumcisions, and you had to use your hands. In case you were wondering, it's probably a bad idea to not do it with, without your hands. I mean, you're going to hurt somebody, right? So, 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 so it, it was a man-made thing. It was a man directed thing, right? We did it because, obviously, under them, they, they did it because of God's command. We do it for more health reasons and sometimes traditional reasons. Uh, it is not a necessary thing for a Christian to do, just as a, a side note there. 
Uh, and you can talk to your doctor about whether you should have your child circumcised. We'll just leave it there. But, um, but, but fr- from that side, it's important to understand that the, the circumcision in the Old Testament was based on the act of man, right? So, so man would do the circumcision. Uh, man, man would present the baby and say, hey, you know, this is part of God's covenantal community. And it was a man-directed thing. Man was to, and then after that, man was to obey the works of the law. They were to walk and, and they were to do ritual, ritual uh, washings. Uh, they were to offer sacrifices. And so there was a lot of obedience to the law that had to follow that circumcision. It was a man-directed thing. Even though God commanded it, man was kind of responsible to keep his side of, of that, right? Obviously, there's grace involved there, right? So God chooses Abraham, not because he's the most awesome guy in the world, right? He was a pagan like everybody else was, but, but he, he chooses him, he, he saves him, and he directs him. However, baptism is, an, is a sign of what Jesus has done on the cross. Baptism isn't a reminder to, hey, you, boom, 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 you have to earn your way to salvation. It, it's, it's not a symbol of, hey, you're in God's community, so now, you know, in order to, to stay that way, you have to keep doing this, 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 this. Although we do need to be obedient to God, baptism is a sign of what Jesus did on the cross. It, it, it's not about man's work. It's about God's work. He has saved and sealed us for salvation, and baptism is a sign of that. We look at Ephesians 1.13, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, dot, 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 says, we're what? We're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So those who are saved believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and they're given the Holy Spirit who indwells them. And baptism symbolizes that this salvation has already occurred, right? So let's look at, let's look at the next two verses here as well. If you look at verses 12 and 13, I'm just going to read them again to kind of refresh our memory. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were, were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us for our trespasses. So if you ever wondered why we, when we do a baptism, we say that you've been buried with Christ and you've been raised with Christ, here's where it comes from, right? So we identify with Christ's burial, and we identify with Christ's death as we're underwater, and we identify with Christ's resurrection. And we also, you'll, you'll see here why we, uh, why we do immersion baptism. Obviously, there's a lot of different modes of baptism that different churches do, but here we see that immersion is the best symbolic way to see our identification with Christ. So not only does the Greek word here, baptismos, mean plunging experience, or an immersion uh, in its literal sense, uh, it was a way to be underwater. It was to immerse. You could take a you know a glass and you would immerse it. You wouldn't just sprinkle it, right? It, it would be immersed. It would be cleaned. But it's also the best way to look at how we identify with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. So if you think about it, we are taken and we are placed underwater. And what is interac- interesting about being placed underwater? Well, under, being underwater is, is an unlivable experience, right? We as humans will die if we stay submerged underwater, right? So we are taken and we identify with Christ as we go underwater and we are buried with Christ, right? The old us is cast down, is, is dead, right? And so, so that's a great way to see that we identify with Christ. But another important symbolic view as we see when we come up out of the water that water that could kill us, right? 
I, it, I was joking with Lee when, we, when I baptized Lee. He was like, don't hold me under too long, right? And so, so it was like, you know, that, that same water that obviously if I would have held Lee under could have caused an issue, right? We can't breathe underwater. That same water that could bring death, right? That people drown, right, all the time. People are drowning uh, countless people per year. That same water that can cause death actually is sim- symbolizes the washing away of our sins. The, the, the water that, w- that could have meant to bring death actually brings us life. And how does that parallel with the cross of Jesus Christ? The cross that was meant to bring death, the cross that was meant to, to kill Jesus Christ, brought us life, right? So the thing that was unlivable, the cross, ends up leading, to us, leading us to have our sins washed away. The water that could lead to death washes away our sins as we are raised in a symbolic way. Obviously, Jesus washes away our sins, but it is to symbolize us being washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And as we are raised, we are resurrected with Christ in a symbolic way, right? So we are saved through grace, through faith, not by works, not by baptism, not by, not by anything that we do. We are saved by Jesus Christ, by his blood that was poured out upon us. And baptism, though, articulates that in a beautiful way as we are buried with Christ and we, as we are raised with Christ, as we are washed by Christ. And when we are raised up, it is to symbolize that we have been born again. The old has gone. The new has come. The old us is dead. It was left and buried. The new us is filled with the Holy Spirit, and it is alive. How beautiful is that, my friends? Christ did all the work for us, as we see in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, as we've talked about many times. We are saved by grace, grace through faith, not by our own works. And as we move on to verse 13, we see, And you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses. So God has forgiven us our trespasses. How wonderful is that? If you are in Christ, if you have not obeyed Jesus Christ in the first command as a believer in baptism, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to dunk you as I got to dunk Lee. It was just a a great thing to to be able to to aid a believer in obedience to the word of God. And and people are like, well, there's all these different ways we can be baptized. But I'm just going to read four just examples as we see in Acts, and we'll just kind of go through this that you believe and then you're baptized. So we see Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized. So that was those who were saved were baptized. And, and this, that's at Pentecost. Acts 8.12. Uh, but when they believed Philip, right, they were saved, as he preached the good news, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 16. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to, uh, to him and to all who were in his house, and they took them at the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and what? He was baptized. He with all of his family, his family believed. And finally, verse 8, here we got Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch's reading the, the scroll of Isaiah, and he's like, what does this mean? And Philip tells him, hey, this is the suffering servant that you're reading here. This is Jesus Christ. Philip, uh, this Ethiopian eunuch, comes to, comes to salvation, and what happens at the first sight of water where he could be dunked? He says, hey, there's some water, right? Let's do this thing. Let's baptize. It was his first step of obedience saying, hey, I'm in. 
I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe all that. I have put my faith and trust in Jesus, and now I want to be baptized because that's what he told me to do. That is what we do after we're saved. So there, as we see, there's a very common theme. It doesn't really take a rocket scientist to see this. They believed and they were baptized. It is a very common theme throughout Scripture. And I pray that if you have believed, that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you have been baptized in believer's baptism, that you've been baptized after believing. Because this act of obedience, frankly, th this is one of the things that really hit me with baptism and why we do believer's baptism when we do believer's baptism. And if you look at verse 12, I go ahead and go forward there to verse 12. What do you see underlined there? Through faith. So those who do practice infant baptism, this is a difficult scripture for them. Because what we see here, having been buried with him in baptism, and, and, and in which you were also raised with him, right? We identify with Christ. We are buried with Christ. We are raised with Christ through faith. I love my babies that we have here. They cannot understand faith yet. So they have no faith. They're born in a Christian family, and we dedicate them, and that's great. And we want to say, hey, they have a great chance of learning about Jesus and growing, and I'm all about that, all about dedicating children to the Lord. But it says, through faith. Our baptism is done through faith. This is why we do not acknowledge infant baptism as a biblically supported form of baptism. I love my friends. That I, one of my best friends is a Presbyterian who does this infant baptism. But this is why we don't do this. Because what we see here is the old covenant was compared with circumcision was done the eighth day only in males, right? And we see that it was a sign uh, of the grace that was poured out, but it was also a sign of the works that would need to be done through that. But then the new covenant requires faith in Jesus Christ for salvation before the sign of salvation is given. Right, so God chose Israel out of all the nations in the world, and that nation was chosen. They didn't have to respond in faith, right? That nation was chosen, and they had to respond in obedience and then some faith with that as well. But for us, we don't have just one nation's chosen, right? It's not like the United States or we are God's chosen people, right? So, so there's, a, there's a big discrepancy in circumcision and baptism and how they do parallel, but how they also diverge. So now all nations, all tongues can respond. The Gentiles can respond to salvation, Jesus Christ. Men and women are both baptized, right? Not just men uh, with circumcision. There's so many differences there. And no matter how much we try to make Scripture look like we are the new Israel, we are not. We see Israel has a future promise, a future hope in the book of Revelation. The 144,000 sealed, 12,000 from every tribe. After the rapture, they will go out and they will tell people about Jesus. So there, although there are some great parallels between circumcision and baptism, it is not a one-to-one. -one. We are not the new Israel. The new covenant is not open to one covenant group of people. You are introduced into that covenant through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. He has offered it to all. The, the word of God has been offered to all. The gospel has been offered to all, no matter what you speak, what language you are, what, what country you're in. And we see that even more so in Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of what? All nations. But then here's where, where we have to make sure that we're right with God, too. So we have to be obedient to God. If we're going to try to get other people to be obedient to God, if we're going to try to speak the, preach the gospel to others and see them respond in, sal in a saving faith with salvation, 
then we better be doing it ourselves right. So we're commanded to, to, to make disciples and do what? Baptize them. Obviously, there's a church part of that as well. But so we're commanded to make disciples and to baptize them. Well, shouldn't we be made a disciple and baptized first and take that step in obedience and say, hey, I've done this and now come. It's, it's really hard if you're a parent. It's really hard to get your kids to do something that you don't do. Can I get an amen on that one? Right? So it's really hard to do that. So how are you going to make disciples of Christ and say you need to be baptized? Well, were you baptized? That becomes very tough. It becomes very difficult circumstances, right? And then we see in John 14, 15, kind of the nail that, that drives it home. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Baptism is a commandment. And sadly, the Baptist church, our name is Baptist, but we stink at this. Like, we stink at talking about, hey, you need to be obedient to Christ. You need to be baptized. It's almost like we soft-pedal that issue. Obviously, the Church of Christ, who says if you're not baptized, you go to hell. Like, that, that's definitely a, a far-reaching, non-biblical view, in my opinion. But we can't go so far this way that we miss the fact that it is a command of God, that it is a command to do that. And he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And... I know that's a lot of information. I know baptism can be very confusing for people. There's a lot in there. I'd love to help walk with you all if you haven't been baptized. If anybody here says, I haven't taken that step, man, I'd love to walk you through that, and I'd love to dunk you. I'll just be honest. I would take pleasure in dunking anybody here that hasn't been dunked. Um, so, or if they haven't been dunked since they were saved. We'll say that too. All right, I'll, I'll quit preaching about baptism because now we're going to move into what is necessary before you get baptized, and this this is an amazing section of Scripture, my friends. So listen closely. We'll read verse. So new life is available for you because of a canceled debt. So we just heard it's, it's available for us because of a canceled duty. Now we're going to hear about a canceled debt. Colossians 2.14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Well, let's, let's look right in the middle of that first. So it says, the record of debt. So this is actually one Greek word, and it means a certificate of indebtedness or an account of debts. And this record of debts is our condemnation by the law, right? So, so the law, even though we're not necessarily under the law, the law was fulfilled by Christ. It wasn't, it wasn't abolished by Christ. There have been some pastors, I'll use that term loosely, that have said that Christ broke the law. He didn't break the law. The law is still there, and those who are not in Christ will be judged based on the law, and they will be cast into hell based on the law's condemnation of them. Praise God, if we are in Christ, we're not under the law. Christ has fulfilled the law for us so that we are forgiven. But we have this record of debt, and this record of debt is our condemnation from the law, and it means that we don't measure up, and there are legal demands for that. That legal demand is death. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Right? That's, that's a pretty terrifying section of Scripture. If we just stop there, like that's a pretty terrifying section. But praise God, that's not where it stops. However, I will say this, th this record of debt, it's, uh, it's really condemning because here's the issue. This Greek word also has this way of saying, you've signed off on it. 
it's, it's got a certificate of authenticity. You know, you buy an autograph thing, and you have to have a certificate of authenticity saying that King Griffey Jr. signed your baseball. Like, that, that's who it was, Nolan Ryan, whoever your favorite baseball player was. You, ne- you need that to kind of prove that this is legit. I didn't just have Adam sign it and say it was from somebody else, right? No offense, but Adam's signature is not going to be worth as much as Nolan Ryan. Uh, so, it's, I mean, I know he's an awesome worship leader, but we just don't want to you know, get his head too big. So, it has a certificate of authenticity, meaning it's, it's legit. It's like you know, that record of debt is signed by your deeds. You, you, you've checked it off. So when the law says, do not do this, and you did it, you've just signed your name and said, yep, that's me. And so that's a pretty condemning thing. We have this legally binding punishment called the wrath of God forever in a place called hell, which is not a really awesome story for us, not, not a really great thing to hear. But we need to hear that, because if we don't know that that's where we're at, then we'll never really respond to salvation, because we don't know what we need to be saved from. But praise God, there is more here in the scripture, and we, we see this word cancel, and that's, one, that's the word that I've taken out to kind of use our, for our points here, and for our, um, uh, for, for our points, and, and even for our name here. And the Greek word for cancel here is exalifo, which means to wipe away, blot out, obliterate, eliminate, cover, destroy, or do away with. That's a good word. So when we talk about that record of debt we just talked about, and we talk about annihilating it, that, that should make us pretty happy. Like, I like that idea that this record of debt, and I mean, I don't think this PowerPoint could, could put my record of debt up there. It would be, need a lot, lot of slides. We just say it'd be a long show for everybody to watch. But God has wiped away our sins, and he has eliminated it. And how? By nailing it to the cross. This is such a beautiful picture of the atonement of Christ. Because if you remember the crucifixion in Matthew 27, 37, what happens? He has a sign that's placed over his head. And it's translated in three different languages, languages so that everybody kind of knows what it says. And it says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. He has a sign above his head. Yet there was another sign above his head whenever he was crucified. Actually, there were a lot of signs above his head. My record of debt, your record of debt, all of our record of debts were placed upon Jesus Christ. So it didn't only say this is the king of the Jews. This is Jonathan's sin. This is Adam's sin. This is Elena and Lauren's sin. This is the other Jonathans. We've got a lot of Jonathans. I could just say Jonathan a couple of times here. This is, this is our sin that is placed above, above Jesus Christ, and it's nailed to the cross. And the, but this sign, it's not just nailed above his head. It's nailed through his wrist, and it's nailed through his feet. And this is our sin, our record of debts. And he took it for us. And each one of those nail poundings, oh, that's, that's Jonathan's. Boom, boom, boom. Just imagine that, because that's what he did for us. And frankly, the, the suffering that he experienced through the wrath of God poured out upon him for, because of the sin, our sin, was so much worse, we, we can't even understand what he went through, spiritually speaking. The, the physical is just a, a mark of the brutality that we can't understand, spiritually speaking. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why? Why would he do that for us? Mm, how amazing is he? And as we describe what happened at Calvary, I want us to get to our last point to understand this further. New life is available for you because of a canceled devil. A canceled devil. 
He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So we just left off. Christ has, has his arms out, and he has nails through his wrist with the record of our debts. My debt, your debt. And he's taken that. And the wrath of God is being poured out for our sins upon Christ. All the while, Satan and his demons are living it up, right? I mean, they're like, victory. We have defeated God-made man, Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man, hanging there on the cross, right? They, they, they'd been there when they instigated the crowds to go from saying, Hosanna, a week before with palm branches, and, and everything's great, and here comes Jesus. They had been there inciting the crowd to turn a 180 and say, crucify him, right? Uh, they had been there during the arrest of Jesus, which is done secretly at night. You know, it, they, he, of course, right, the devil, devil does his things at night. He does it in secret. And they had been there, Satan and his demons, inciting the rulers to, to take him in. They'd been there with the government leaders, knowing that injustice is going on here, to turn a blind eye to it and say, you know, it's not worth my neck. I'm not putting it out. And now they're watching Jesus hang on a cross and die. One must imagine the victory they were feeling. Oh, wow. They were like, God dwelling his flesh is there, beaten, bruised, bleeding, and gasping for air. Victory was theirs. Evil had overcome, right? Little did they know that their supposed victory was going to lead to their defeat. And this word here, disarmed, actually means stripped. And as they were there stripping Christ of his clothes and hanging them, hanging him there to open shame in front of everyone, right? As they are there stripping him of his title, mocking him, the king of the Jews, right? This guy's nothing. We, we got this. Yet it backfired. The ones who were ultimately stripped of their powers and were defeated was Satan and his demons. They thought that they were stripping Christ of his dignity. They thought that they were stripping Christ of his power, but instead they were stripping themselves from the power of death and the grave. The keys of death and the grave were forever stolen by Jesus Christ. He trampled Satan and his demons underfoot. Eternal life was made available for all those who placed their trust in Jesus Christ and would repent and turn away from their sins. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the gospel here. And there is no denying our sinfulness, our record of debts before a holy God. 1 John 1.10 says, If we say we have not sinned, <clears throat> we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. We must admit that we are a sinner in order to be saved. But praise God, he didn't leave us there. As he hung on that cross, that record of debts that was placed upon him was removed from us. When we placed our trust in him, that record of debts has been nullified. It has been wiped away, annihilated, cast out, and the rulers of darkness, Satan and his demons, they've lost. The victory's already been won. For us who are in Christ, we don't have to worry about eternal life because it's there. Uh, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Victory has been won. But that doesn't keep the facade that the devil keeps putting on that he still is in control from coming. It is an illusion, and Satan is still the great accuser, and he accuses us before the throne at all times. And I'm going to read a few things that the accuser may look at you and scream. And what I want you to do is I want you to repeat with me the part in italics. Are you ready? 
The accuser may say, fornicator, adulterer, it's been nailed to the cross, I'm forgiven. Liar, slanderer, it's been nailed to the cross, I'm forgiven. Murderer at heart, right, you've hated people, it's been nailed to the cross, I'm forgiven. Jealous and envious, you know, you're looking out there and you're just thinking, oh, I want that. You're no good, right? But it's been nailed to the cross, I'm forgiven. Idolater and blasphemer. I keep putting all these things, money, whatever it is, uh, it's just fighting for that attention, but it's been nailed to the cross, and I'm forgiven. So what is the enemy accusing you of today? What, what, what is he yelling in your ear saying, this is the problem, you are the problem, you're no good? As the great Shane and Shane said, praise God, he's right. Hallelujah, He's right. The, the song that he's singing over you is the truth, but it's not the full truth. The full truth is, yes, you are all of those things. We are all of those things by heart. Our heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? But he is not. And his righteousness, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we believe that he is the Son of God, the perfect God-made flesh who lived a sinless life, died on the cross, three days later rose from the dead, and now intercedes for us, that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. When we put our faith in him, our record of deaths is as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103, 12, right? But Satan continues to demand a payment from God, right, for your sin. He says, hey, this guy's not, he's, he's not good enough. Look at what he just did. Look, did you see what he just looked at? Did you see what he just said? Did you see what he just thought? Did you see what she just said? Did you see where she went? Can you believe that? Like, did you hear that phone call? You know, and, that, and he continues to do that. And he appeals to God's justice, right? God, you're a just God. Punish them. They deserve hell, right? How can you let them go free? He appeals to God's character. But God has already given an answer, right? Justice has been served, my friends. Christ has covered our sins and removed it from us and given us his righteousness. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. Friends, I pray that you've done that. I pray that you've fully put your, your trust in Jesus Christ because here's the thing. If you haven't, all those accusations, Satan's right. They do need to be paid for. And you will. His, actually, his truth is full truth to you. You will experience a judgment. I know that's not a popular message today, but the Bible teaches that. Jesus talks more on hell than all, just about anything. That and money, <laughs> two difficult subjects, right? When we look, it is a very true truth that he hurls at you. And I pray that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that that truth is not the full truth, that the way, the truth, the life is your truth, your personal truth, your Savior, that your sins have been placed upon him. And it is well with your soul. Though research shows that the great, oh, I will say, it's been nailed to the cross, I'm forgiven. That's in your handouts there. I pray that as they, as they hurl those insults, you can, you can write that out. You can say that. I know most research, or a lot of research has shown the, the author of It Is Well With My Soul, Horatio Spafford, veered off into false teaching toward, toward later in his life after some, some bad experiences, tragedies. But he did write a very theological hymn Sin, all oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, 
Praise the Lord, O my soul. Your sin, if you are in Christ, is nailed to the cross. Never to be placed back upon you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, has your sin, has each one of your sins, when you just look at your life, don't, don't think about your mom or your dad or, or your husband or your wife or your kids or, oh, well, this is what somebody told me. Your sin, when you look at your life, has your personal sin, everything that you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever looked at, everything that you've ever just, just wanted to do that even wasn't, every, every person that you've hated in your heart, that you've murdered, all of those sins, the things that no one has a clue that you've thought about, have, has, have all of those sins, that record of debt, has it been placed upon Christ? If not, I pray that you don't go another day without making it right with God. Repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ alone. He's just there waiting to take that record of debts and nail it to the cross and take it away from you. If you have done this, I pray that you live in freedom. I pray that, that as Satan continues, even after you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Satan is the same Satan as always been, and his demons are the same as they've always been, and they will continue to hurl, frankly, truths at you a lot of times. They're, they're, they're accusatory truths that you are not good enough, uh, you, you deserve this, you deserve it, but your answer always needs to be, right? It's been nailed to the cross. I'm forgiven. Let us pray. Adam, would you mind it? Come forward. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Uh, God, with, with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to take a moment where we're just going to have some quiet time, and we're going to search our hearts. And first off, if somebody doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, if they have not fully put their trust and faith in you, they have fully not repented of their sins, they haven't handed over their record of debt to you to nail to the cross, but they haven't been saved by grace through faith. I pray that they do that today. And we're going we're gonna to just keep everybody's head, head down, eyes closed. And Adam's going to just pick a little bit here and play for a minute. I want you just to take a few moments here to, to search your heart and make sure you are saved. Have you really done that? Have you really put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone, or is it in yourself still? Is it in your finances? Is it in your, your parents? Is it in your husband or wife? Is it in your teacher? Is it in someone in your life? Is it in your stuff? Where is your true trust? Have you re truly repented of your sins? Have you turned from your sins? Yes, we still struggle with sins, but are you really struggling? Or do you just kind of have a habitual life of sin? You really haven't, you believe with your head all those things about Jesus, but, but your life doesn't look any different. You, you really do the same things you always did, and you really don't even feel bad about it. And you have this double life where you come to church, and, but yet you still do all these things, and you don't even feel really guilty. And that's a sign that you really haven't repented. You haven't turned away. Yes, you will struggle, but it should be a struggle. It should be a struggle, Lord. I pray that we just take a moment here and, and, and evaluate our hearts. The Bible teaches that that you have to draw us to you for us to be saved, that we have to hear the preached word, that we have to hear the gospel, but then we also need to be drawn by you. And if there's anyone here that, that feels that drawing, that they just know, hey, man, I, can, I can feel you, Lord, moving in my spirit. I, I know that I'm not saved, and I, 
I know that I need to be saved and I want to be saved, but I just don't know really how to go about that. Like, how do I, how do, I do that? And I just want to let you all know that the alt, we have a, a little altar here beside the, the keyboard. I'd love to pray with you. If you want to come forward, I'd love to pray with you. If that's not something you're like, oh, you know, I just, I'm just not ready to step in front of people. With every, every eye closed, every head bowed, I just pray that you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I, I want to pray for my seat. I need you, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart. I need salvation to fall upon me. Thank you for the cross. Still with every, every head bowed, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that they do that, that they put their faith and trust in you. If there's anybody here that says, hey, I, I've done that, but I'm listening to the accuser, and I'm not answering with, it's been nailed to the cross and I'm forgiven. I feel the weight of my sin and I struggle with accepting his forgiveness. I pray that the altar again is still open here you can, or you can stay in your seats. But Raise your hand if that's you. I'm just struggling to, to accept that forgiveness. I think that can be all of us at some time. And if it is you, I just pray that you spend this time thanking Christ for the cross, knowing that his payment was enough. And I pray that you fully hand over the reins of your life, that you fully accept the grace and forgiveness that, that only he can do. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time. If there's anyone that, that needs to follow in baptism, I'd love to talk to them after the service as well, to follow you in obedience, those who are saved, God. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And may uh, we go out this week and glorify your name. Amen.